K-A-L-W. I found that an escape isn't a place and it isn't a paradise, isn't a location. But I discovered that lowriding is my escape. Today, we explore the tight-knit community of lowriders in San Jose. You know, I remember back in the 90s when I used to go cruising, the police would pull you over. They'll just make up any reason to pull you over. Hydraulic lifts, custom cars, and socio-political implications. Then we learn how one lowrider club uses bikes to challenge assumptions. You know, the stereotypical thing with Mexicans is, oh, you drive a, a lowrider, a gangster car, you know? And we hear from a drag queen reflecting on the closure of an Oakland queer bar. It's just sad to know that I won't be able to have that place to produce shows and to invite other performers. Saying our goodbyes to Port Bar. I'm Hanat Baba, and this is Cross Currents. Today we're starting with a news story from our series, Culture Keepers, profiles of people who maintain and create traditions in the Bay Area. I was very much fascinated by bells and lights and whistles. It's my role to learn it well and protect it and keep it. Alors, je, je vais faire l'explication en anglais. <laughs> Soyez tolérant. <laughs> Just the energy and the drive that they have, like the future is looking fucking golden. Today, we'll cruise through the vibrant world of lowriding. We'll explore the tight-knit community of San Jose's lowriders, the history of California's no-cruising ban, and we'll meet the people working to challenge assumptions about lowriding. First, reporter Paloma Abarca takes us through hydraulic lifts, the artistry of custom cars, and the socio-political implications of a community united by a shared passion. Let's go back to the 1970s in San Jose, California for a second. It's a warm Friday afternoon in town, and you're preparing to go for a cruise in your cherry red 1947 Cadillac Series 62 along Story and King Roads. Slow and slow as you bump some classic cumbias, oldies, or maybe even some fun. A common activity for family, friends, and members of the local lowrider community. From San Jose to San Francisco, cruising low and slow is a timeless ritual. I would remember riding with my pops, driving around town, listening to the early artists like E-40, Tupac, and all the G-Funk slaps that you hear today. My pops had a 90s Cadillac that was on spokes, hydraulic, candy paint, and he would hop it at lowrider magazine shows. That's Philip Alexander Dominguez, who goes by Alex, hailing from Hayward, California. For him, lowriding is a family affair, something that was passed down to him from his father and mother. Man, I can go as far as back as being a baby in the back of my dad's Paula. When it comes to my mother, she loves cruises. So whenever I have the chance to ride side by side with my mom in her 57 Chevrolet Bel Air, I'll drop all my plans just so I can be beside her on the boulevard. This is easily the best way that my family bonds Alex opened up about his family ritual and how at first, the lifestyle felt so repetitive to him as a baby. But as he grew older and developed a deeper understanding of lowrider culture and what it means to be in community, he fell in love. I found that an escape isn't a place and it isn't a paradise, isn't a location. But I discovered that lowriding is my escape. I have a 1962 Chevrolet Impala. I have an Aztec Gold over here in the trunk. 
little bit packing. I got 12 batteries. I got single pump hydraulics and it's a bladder pump. I got 13 chromes on Dayton's with the white walls. And when it comes to my engine, I have a stock 350 engine. But the act of cruising hasn't always been slow and steady. What a lot of people don't understand these days is the expression that comes out of low riding. People just look at it like you're just driving a piece of junk on the streets. But to us, it's like a canvas on wheels. And if you look more into it, some of these cars really are art pieces. There's so much blood and sweat and tears that people actually put into the bills that not everybody really understands. In 1958, California implemented a ban on cars that made it illegal for any part of a car to be below the bottom of its rims, restricting lowriders from cruising. This eventually led to cities and towns placing local bans on cruising themselves and creating a stigma around this act. You know, I remember back in the 90s when I used to go cruising, the police would pull you over. They'll just make up any reason to pull you over, even though you're not doing anything wrong. That's Tiana Dominguez, mother of Philip Alexander Dominguez, who we previously heard from. For Tiana, the passion of lowriding was ignited by her partner, who she used to go cruising with in San Jose. We used to go cruising San Jose. We used to go to the, all of the lowrider car shows. And so I kind of got into understanding the culture all about, you know, creating something that's yours. Traditionally male-dominated, lowrider culture saw women mainly as companions to their partners. But in the past decade, more women have been purchasing, fixing, and customizing their own cars. When I got my first job back in the 90s. Again, Tiana Dominguez. You know, I said all my, literally all of my paychecks go to cars, you know, hydraulics, rims. And, you know, one year I'll have the paint. The next year I'll add like a mural um, or I'll change out the rims or, you know, it's an evolution. These cars became symbols of pride for young Chicanos, Chicanas, in a society that targeted and projected them as outcast, with San Jose later implementing its own ban in 1986. Stigma centered on low writing and communities of color connected lowriders back to violence. Or officers simply cited drivers with traffic concerns as a means to target Chicanos and Latinos since its early days. Lowriding symbolizes resistance and resilience, offering a voice to marginalized communities through what one could say moving art. And for others, it symbolizes family. Now, we can trace the roots of lowriding back to Los Angeles in the late 1940s, when car culture began to blow up after World War II. But when they shut down Whittier Boulevard, a popular street for cruising in Los Angeles, San Jose became a vital center for the lowrider culture. Oh man, it's so beautiful. I haven't seen one of these in so long. Well, I mean, it's so beautiful, obviously. I'm not even sure what the crap in the back is doing. You know, I'd love to have that explained. Owners tend to transform cars into custom masterpieces, showcasing intricate paintwork, hydraulics, and chrome details. It's a culture celebrating identity, community, and artistic expression. By 1970, the heart of the lowrider scene centered around the intersection of King and Story Roads in San Jose. And it's where King and Story stands as the lowrider capital of the world. And it's where dozens of lowrider clubs have kept the culture alive by sharing it with our youth and now the entire city of San Jose. That is what we are doing 
here today, brothers and sisters. That's Councilmember Peter Ortiz giving a speech at the first ever San Jose Lowrider Day on September 1st, 2023. It's the home base of the founding of the Lowrider magazine, Sunny Madrid, Larry Gonzalez, and David Nunez. It's birthed many talented artists, many of them who got their start in this pages of Lowrider magazine. It's inspired innovators and the mechanical side of the Lowrider scene, such as Andy's Hydraulics. The ban on cruising against San Jose's lowrider community and their pride couldn't stand a chance, coming together after months of hard work. The community celebrated their first annual Lowrider Day in honor of San Jose lifting the ban on cruising at a local level. Jose Luis Guzman, a local lowrider, had this to say. My name is Jose Luis Guzman. My truck is a 1953 Chevy pickup. We are out here in the center of San Jose. And we are celebrating that we are now free to go cruising, free to do what we enjoy doing. Guzman owns a turquoise 1953 Chevy pickup and said he feels more free than ever to be cruising. I feel freer than I've ever been. This represents our Mexican culture, which has existed here for decades, and there's not much else to it. I'll continue to do it because I love to. As months went by, lowrider communities continued to come together across California to lift local bands in National City, Sacramento, and Los Angeles, which soon led to Bill AB 436 being introduced by Assembly members David Alvarez and Luz Rivas in February of 2023. Fast forward to October 27th of 2023. That's when Governor Gavin Newsom signed Bill AB 436, marking another significant victory for the community. Although the road hasn't been the smoothest, the passing of Bill AB 436 not only legalized an art form, but also acknowledged the rich history and spirit of the Chicano and Chicana communities. Young and old, lowriders are preserving the fortress of the past while pushing new boundaries, keeping the lowrider culture alive for generations to come. I'm Paloma Yaritza Abarca with Cross Currents. And remember, cruising is not a crime. Thanks, Paloma. You can find more Culture Keepers stories like that one at KELW.org slash Culture Keepers. You're listening to Cross Currents from KALW News. I'm Hanat Baba. As we just heard, lowrider car culture first emerged in Southern California in the 1940s. 
When Mexican-American veterans returned home after World War II, many of them came back with new mechanical skills. So they began using their garages to repair and customize old cars. In the 70s, the Chicano movement helped inspire Mexican-American car enthusiasts to embrace lowrider culture. As its popularity grew, a wave of car and bike clubs sprung up around the country. Reporter DeAndre Ball has the story of one bike club in Napa that's preserving lowrider culture while also combating stereotypes and serving the local community. Soul Vera is a chill, 19-year-old Napa native with a passion for all things lowrider. Customized, tricked-out, candy-painted cars, hydraulics, and shiny chrome bikes. He's also president of the Chelu Lowrider Bike Club. Chelo means brother or friend in Spanish. For lowrider enthusiasts like Saul, each bike is a blank canvas for artistic expression, not just technical function. Today, Saul's showing me his prized bike he made. So this is my custom lowrider bike. I even got these spinners down here, those rims right there. Crazy hard to find. Um, We're at a vintage car show in Vallejo, where Chelo members have their bikes and cars on display. One is decorated with a Las Vegas Raiders theme. Another one, built by Saul, is shiny and silver and sits low to the ground. Um, it has hydraulics too, so it bounces up and down like a lowrider. He says for many Mexican-Americans, lowrider culture is about more than just flashy cars with cool paint jobs. The members of these clubs see themselves as passing on the torch to the next generation. A lot of the lowrider clubs like his also do youth mentorship, food and toy drives, and volunteer service for the surrounding community. Sol first started making lowrider bikes when he was 16. He finds bike parts through online ads and has traveled far to get the parts. For the one he's showing me today, he had to go all the way down to LA. When I brought it back up here, I got two different bikes and I put them all together and I made this right here. So most of the parts on, on the bike are used. I just clean them up, you know, make them shiny again. Saul initially started making lowrider bikes through online tutorials. He also gets help from his dad, who grew up making and selling bikes in Mexico. He got more involved in middle school through Chelo Club founder Pete Duenas. Pete started the bike club 10 years ago to provide young people with technical skills to build their own bikes and life skills towards a more positive future. Because a lot of kids are distracted these years, you know what I mean? So our part is just to try to keep them focused on something positive. And that's what Saul did dedicated himself to the bike club. And I just eventually just made my way to the top, and I'm, now I'm president of Chelo Bike Club. Some people built their own lowrider creations as models to rarely drive on the road. This is not the case for Saul. He loves to cruise around town with his friends on their lowrider bikes and feels proud to display this important part of their Mexican-American heritage. A lot of people build their bikes, like, just for show, specifically for show. And I said, man, what's the point of that if you're not going to be able to ride it? When I go cruising, it's just a feeling like, oh, like the old school feeling. That's, that's what gets me a lot. Um, whenever I go cruising with my friends, you know, we got the music all blasting loud. You know, we got the oldies. And we're just cruising around anywhere around our side of town or we go downtown and everyone's just always staring at us. You know, everyone always has questions. Along with mentoring young people, part of Chelu's mission is to dispel stereotypes about lowrider culture. Yeah, so, you know, the stereotypical thing with Mexicans is, oh, 
you drive a, a lowrider, a gangster car, you know? Like, I personally have family members in my life right now that are telling me, like, don't be into this, bro, you're not a gangster. They say, oh, you know, everybody out there is, like, gang members. I'm like, no, they're not. We do this all for the community. We're, like, trying to raise money for kids. But, you know, they don't believe all that just because of how they were raised. Not only does Chelu make eye-catching bikes, they do non-bike stuff, too. They host fundraisers, toy drives, and community potlucks. Peace says people, including some local politicians, have taken notice as well. We have the, the mayor comes out and supports us. Congressman Thompson comes out and supports us. We get everybody involved. You know, the fire department, police department, we're a community car club. It's all about bringing the community together and giving back into the same community we live in. Saul says the bike club has already influenced his life goals. He plans to enroll in college to become an auto technician. He wants to build his own lowrider cars. It's a goal that caught him by surprise. I did not think I would be into cars, but now, like, seeing all these crazy lowriders and everything, you know, I want to buy myself one so I can learn. Like, everyone's telling me, all my, all my family members are telling me, hey, buy a new car, you know, you, you're young, you could get the credits, you know, buy a brand new 2022 car, you know? And I say, nah, I'm more, I want a lowrider. I want an old-school 1980s car. Saul says he plans on keeping the lowrider culture alive for generations to come. Once I do have kids, you know, this, this stuff isn't going away. I'm keeping my bike. You know, when you have a kid, you can raise them just to be in the lowrider lifestyle like me. Like, he doesn't have kids yet, but when he does, he's serious about immersing them in this tradition. He's already researched lowrider pedal toy cars and even lowrider strollers. In the meantime, until he gets his first lowrider car, you can find him and his friends biking around Napa, blasting oldies. In Vallejo, I'm DeAndre Ball for CrossCurrent. DeAndre reported that story in 2022 as part of our Audio Academy training program. You can hear more of his stories at klw.org slash crosscurrents. This is Cross Currents. I'm Hanat Baba. The Port Bar is one of the few queer venues in Oakland, and these days they're serving their last drinks. The bar's owners said they'll temporarily close because their landlord won't renew their lease. According to a San Francisco Business Times report, the landlord claims the bar's entertainment, like karaoke, DJ parties, and outdoor drag shows, violates the lease's terms and creates safety hazards. Amora Tease is a drag queen resident at the Port Bar. She spoke with KLW's Janae Darden about the closure and what's coming up next. Amora Tease, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to speak with you today. When did you start performing at the Port Bar? I started performing at the Port Bar and I want to say 2017. And I was just a featured queen in one of the shows. And as time went on, I think in the following year, I was able to get the opportunity to have my own night of hosting on, I think it was like a Sunday night. 
And it was the uh, Latinx show. So I got to explore my Latinx roots and my Hispanic roots and incorporate other drag performers from around the Bay Area that also shared that and that culture. And um, from there, I started hosting drag magazine parties, Wednesday night shows, and eventually the drag brunch. And eventually I just became Fort Bar's go-to, you know, resident queens. And you grew up in the East Bay. You grew up in Hayward. How important are spaces like the Port Bar to the East Bay LGBTQ plus community? I will say very important because first off, there are not many nightlife spaces in the East Bay for LGBTQ. And I think there's from Hayward, there's Turf Club, which is a you know very small dive bar to Walnut Creek, where there's 1220. And then in the middle, we have Oakland. I don't think since Club 21 and Club B&B that we had actual LGBTQ nightlife spaces and Port Bar came at a time where downtown Oakland, I feel like was like really needing that kind of refreshing new space. And for people from San Francisco to the North Bay to anywhere in the East Bay, that was a middle point for them to kind of, you know, meet up and congregate as, you know, as queer people and celebrate in nightlife to, you know, dance and have a safe space to, you know, have a good time with each other. This issue between the port bar owners and the landlord has been going on for over a year. What are you hearing people saying in the community? You know, how are they feeling about all of this? The struggle between the port bar and the landlord has not been going on for just a year. It's been kind of been hidden a little bit from the public because, you know, we want folks to still feel safe and still feel welcome to come to port. But unfortunately, it's been a struggle with the landlord for a couple of years. So many great things have, have you know have happened, and we've you know organized you know community events from you know local block parties to that our Pride Fest event that we had uh, a few years back, and the landlord just did not embrace those moments, and he did not embrace those events as a way of our community coming together. How does this bar closing affect the Oakland, or will affect the Oakland queer community? I mean, it's it's really sad because it's just one more venue down for us. You know, uh, the owners have opened a port. The owners of Port Bar, Sean and Sean Sullivan and Richie Fuentes, uh, recently opened Fluid Five One Zero, which is just about two and a half blocks down from Port Bar, which is also an LGBTQ space, but also a community space. How does Port Bar closing affect you? I know you mentioned. I mean, you work there, so this is, I'm thinking of your income, right? So yeah. how does this affect you emotionally, financially, and other areas of your life? I mean, I was, I was a drag performer of nine years, and I've, it's been a hustle, but also, you know, a learning experience as well, too, you know, to kind of be your own employer and be your own business. And the Port Bar really helped me, guide me on that journey. It's just sad to know that, I, you know, I won't be able to have that place to produce shows and to invite other performers and it's definitely affected me financially in the past few months where I've haven't had as much steady work because Port Bar was my main source of income when it came to, you know, entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely felt the hit, but it hasn't discouraged me from, you know, continuing to expand beyond that. And of course, actually, we will be expanding programming to Fluid 510 once Port Bar closes. So, it's not over yet. <laughs> yeah, I read that some of the program will go to Fluid 510. Will you be working there? Yes. So an amazing thing happened over winter break, and the owners of Port Bar 
came to an agreement that they are going to bring all the staff from the port bar, including me, over to Fluid 510 so that everyone can still have a job. We will be opening more programming. So that means that we need more staff to bartend, run drinks. And we also have a full kitchen at Fluid 510. So we offer dinner Wednesday through Saturday. And uh, they also have our brunch on Saturday and Sunday. And they're converting. Uh, the There's an upstairs space at Fluid 510 as well, too, that we will be calling The Loft that will be host to RuPaul's Drag Race viewing parties. It will be host to karaoke nights. It will be another space where, you know, queer folks can come and party. For it to be called Fluid 510, it's really a chance for us to continue the programming, but also to see visually actually that fluidity of programming through that entire venue. It's 5,000 square feet. So we have enough capacity to not just hold the community that's come to the port bar, but even more so opportunity for the community outside of that. So it sounds like that the spirit of the port bar is going to move to Fluid 510. Yes. What's your hope for this next phase of this like I said, the spirit of the port bar moving to Fluid 510. I mean, I just hope that the community embraces Fluid. I also hope that the city of Oakland embraces more safety when it comes to not just queer spaces, but, you know, nightlife and gives more opportunity for small businesses to grow and for our communities to feel safe to travel to downtown Oakland, you know, and to park their cars safely in downtown Oakland. But I, I just really hope that folks embrace Fluid 510 as a, a new beginning to continue on the legacy. You know, we, we want to, we always want to do bigger and, and better. And if bigger wasn't going to have two venues, it's going to have one bigger venue. And the fact that we can come together as, as a community and not just LGBTQ, but along with our allies as well, too, in one space, I think it will be a very special thing. That was drag queen Amora T speaking with KALW's Janae Darden. The Port Bar will continue some of their queer programming at Fluid 510 on Broadway in Oakland. That interview was co-produced by Porfirio Rangel, and you can hear a longer version at KALW.org slash crosscurrents. Today's Cross Currents team includes Steffi Puerto, Cheryl Kaskowitz, James Rollins, Ganadi Joe Johnson, Victor Tense, Shireen Hadil, Marissa Ortega-Welch, Angela Johnston, Sunil Khalid, and Ben Trefney. Our opening theme music is by the John Santos Quintet, as interpreted by Daoud Anthony. For Cross Currents, I'm Hannah Baba.